right, all right, friends and family. Thank you guys so much for joining Every Day's a Saturday with your host, me, myself, and I, Brian Roof. Hey, guys, we got another great interview. I'm super excited. I finally got my first lady, and she's a Marine. She's a veteran who served her country proud from 2004 to 2012 as a 3533 LVS operator, and she got out as a corporal. So let's go ahead and meet Chelsea. What's going on, Chelsea? How you doing? Good. I'm good. How are you? I can't complain. Can't complain. So Marine, tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of what made you join the Marine Corps, how your life was in the Marines and what you're doing now after the Marine Corps. All right. Um, so I was 19 when I decided to join. I was originally dubbed into the Air Force. Um, I was dubbed into the Air Force for about a year. And two of my cousins uh, that are females were both Marines. And they're like, we think you should join the Marine Corps. You would like it a lot better. Um, so me being 19 and, you know, naive, I switched over to the Marine Corps and did the boot camp and, you know, MCT, MOS, all that stuff. Um, and then I, you know, met some people um, throughout the way that have just been a blessing. So we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, but, you know, 33, originally um, I was a 31, but in school, they chose one class to become a whole class of 33s. And with my luck, I was that class. Um, so I became a 33 and then went to Japan. And from Okinawa, I went to Iraq. And that's where all of the fun began with my military career, I guess you could say. Um, I got linked up with 2nd CLR um, in North Carolina. And originally I was with 3rd TSB out of Okinawa. And so we went over to Iraq and I was in Takatam. Um, I was actually a 50 cal and 240 gunner. Um, so that was an interesting, you know, feat. Yeah, uh, I had a gun buddy. We talked about it. You know, we talked about it the other day. I had a gun buddy and right. I told you I mounted the 50 cal by myself and he'll tell you, you know, he, he, he's like, I wasn't going to help you. You could do it on your own. So I did that now by myself. People, now for people that may not be aware, let them know how heavy a 50 cal actually is. It's about 127 pounds. And back in the day when I was younger, I weighed 120 pounds. So um, the, the weapon actually weighed a lot more than what I did. And you could break it down. I would break it down and throw it up on the wheel well and crawl up through the turret and on top of the hood of the truck and put it all back together and be on our way with the convoy. Uh, we ran convoys at night. So, uh, <clears throat> you know, it you had to make sure that you did a test fire before you left the gate. So make sure that the weapon, you know, worked correctly. And then um, we just ran a lot of convoys. The cans that people lived in in 2005 are what we delivered to the different bases. We went to Baghdad and picked them up with our LVSs and then brought them back to all of the other bases, you know, Al-Assad, Takatam. Um, Blue Diamond, Aramadi. We did a daytime convoy to Jordan one time. Um, that was interesting. But we usually did our convoys that night. And right. um, I mean, it was just another, it was, I was 19, you know, um, it was scary. Were you guys rolling uh, around without your lights on and all that stuff and uh, LBGs, all, the, all that and stuff? Yeah. LBGs, I mean? Yes, we did. Yeah, yeah. Um, and if you go to my TikTok, the videos that are on my TikTok are actual videos from when I was there. Those were recorded by, you know, my friends and, um, you know, I don't know who else put videos in with their, you know, they're from our unit, our platoon, but I don't know which guys submitted which video footage to this, but th that's our deployment that we did. And then I went out again in 2007 and that was the last time. So I was active from 2004 to 2008. And during that time, 
I got, I got divorced in 2008 and got out of the military. And then I ended up missing it about six months later and decided to go back active reserve. And I moved to North Carolina and did about three or four years of active reserve time and got out and, um, you know, just went to school, then became a mom and then um, moved to Florida. So, you know, I'm living in the Florida like, like life right now, retirement, you know, people dream of at the age of 60, I got to do uh, how like 35 34 ish. So it's been nice. I can't lie. I had a great time in the military. I made a lot of friends. I'm still friends with them all to this day. You know, if, if I needed anything, I'm sure I could reach out to any of them and they would help me in an instant. And I think that's true, you know, to, with any military person that had a good experience or had, you know, a good time or made good friends that became family, which I, I, I think that I would say maybe 90% would agree, you know, that you become family with each other. But Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, mm-hmm. that's one thing I love about the Marine Corps. And, I mean, even the veteran community in general, it's kind of a tight-knit, you know, group of people. And, uh, you know, it's that's one thing that's great. So uh, you went to boot camp over there in good old uh, North Carolina, right? Paris Island, South Carolina. South Carolina. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. So uh, how was boot camp for you? Um, You know, I hated it when I was there. And then when you get out and you look back on it, you miss it. I think Uh, it was fun that when I looked back on it, I mean, it was hell, but it was fun. Uh, It wasn't bad. You know, I made friends with the girl. There's a girl specifically that was in my my platoon for boot camp and her and I had been together for the first two years of our our time together so we got really close you know wherever she was I was wherever I was she was I got to the point you know where our families were sending each other stuff in Iraq and they became like our extended families you know her family has became my family and mine has became hers and she's getting ready to retire and you know, I'm flying to San Diego to her retirement because, you know, it's just, we started together and then, you know, it's kind of going to be like an end together type of thing, even though it's her retirement. But like, I just feel that, you know, we started the journey together. I just kind of want to be there to end it with That's her. awesome. Yeah, that that is yeah. great. I'm sure she's going to be, you know, love to have you there as well. Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's two other people that are going with me that were also in our unit in Japan that live here in Florida. So I'm going to have company going. I won't be alone. And we're pretty excited. That's awesome. That's great. So once you got into, to the fleet, how was the fleet and everything for you? And, um, you know, talk about that a little bit. Well, when we were in MOS school, we got a wish list. Um, because when we were 31s, they gave us the option to either stay at 31 and go to Yuma, Arizona, or, you know, you you had to go to 33 school and then you would get your wish list, which is you pick three different, uh, you know, locations. And then obviously the Marine Corps chooses where you get to go. Right. So I picked Okinawa, I think California and Hawaii or something like that. And, you know, I was in... Uh, martial arts for a few years growing up and it just always sparked an interest in me and I always wanted to go there as a child so I figured why not utilize this time you know from the military to go for free well it was only a one-year tour normally and then we were the first two-year tour to go to Okinawa so our group of people you know that were going to Okinawa during that time we were the first two-year tour to go and they told us the day before we left that we were going to be there for two years so i mean i i wasn't highly disappointed but you know at the same time i was a little nervous because i hadn't been away from my family and i was 19 and not only hadn't i not been away from my family but i was going to a whole other country you know so it it was a whole learning experience i loved it i loved okinawa everything about it. it was gorgeous 
um, the beaches, you know, the weather, the people were amazing. The food is great. You know, I, 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 I would like to move there. My husband says, no, he, he's not going for it. I've tried, I've tried, no. but he's not going for it. But I mean, if I could move there again, I definitely would, you know, um, it was just, it was a fun experience back then. Did you guys get to go um, out in town a lot or, or did we they kind of keep you? Yeah. Awesome. No, we did. We had Cinderella Liberty unless you had a gold card. So we had these cards and the red card meant that you had to be back on base at midnight. And then the gold card meant that you had to be back on base, you know, I think at like 5am or something. So, and it was up to the unit, you know, obviously commander and sergeant major and all that, you know, I had to go up the chain of command of whether or not you were capable, capable enough or, you know, mature enough to have that extra liberty time. So when we came through the gates, you had to show your, your card. So if you had a red card and you came in after midnight, Oh, yeah. So a lot of us like liberties taken away, probably, huh? Well, I mean, yeah, it it depended on or sometimes some of them were pretty cool with you guys. Like, uh, hey, don't be doing that again. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. It depended on, you know, how many times you did it and if you were in trouble and you snuck out, you know, it was it, it depended on a lot of variables. But we did like a lot of us would sneak in other people's cars. So like some of us had vehicles out there as well. And we would pile in the trunk or like in the back seat. And, you know, people, they would sneak us back on base. If she had like, we, I had a friend that had a gold card. And I had a red card at the time because I was newer to the unit. So you had to be on the unit, I think for like six months or a year or something like that before you could even apply for your gold card. So, um, she would pile us all up in, you know, her trunk and sneak us through the gate or there would be holes in the gate. People would sneak in and out of the holes through the gate. Um, you, you, you know, you're a Marine, you become inventive. There's, there's a will, there's a way within the Marine Corps, man. They all, we always find a way around some shit. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And, you know, we weren't allowed to have liquor in the barracks. So, you know, we, got inventive with that. We would put it in a book bag and tie 550 cord up to it and pull it up the second deck, you know, to the <laughs> second deck or second deck story window and pull it through the window and, um, you know, do field day without getting caught. So that's great. Um, yeah. It's always, there's always, like I said, where there's always a loophole and Marines find a way. <laughs> <laughs> Even yeah. in the Middle East, when they said that there was no, it was a dry country, uh, stuff ended up in the mail all the time, like in Listerine <laughs> bottles and stuff. Yeah. We're drinking some nasty Listerine, but just to have a little bit of some liquor in there, though, we were doing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One of our guys had some scent, and he they got drunk while we were out there, and he was so drunk he was doing cartwheels and like just oh, being shit. loud and crazy. And we we seriously thought we were gonna get caught. But we, we didn't. Um, so I guess we got lucky. But, I mean, there's yeah. definitely ways that they sneak it out there. They get inventive. People definitely get inventive with it. I partied a little bit more than I thought I would. Let's just say that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I got married young. So, uh, I you know, I was... I think 20 when I got married and we were living in Japan. So I, I didn't do a whole lot of partying. Um, did you guys but, live on, you know, uh, did it, you guys live in like uh, base housing or something like that? No, we lived in the barracks oh. we, because we went on a, on a company tour. So what had happened is he was on camp uh, Hanson and I was on camp Foster and we went, you know, obviously at separate times. So we, we're on an, on a company tour. When we got married, they, they had the, we were close enough on the Island because the Island is so small that they technically didn't have to move him bases, but they moved him to camp foster. So we were kind of, our, our barracks were next to each other, but for the first, I don't know, a few months of our marriage, you no, know, we, we lived in the barracks. Now, so. were you guys allowed to share rooms or were you guys sneaking in rooms always? No, we were sneaking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah. He, past that I mean, we were married. Duty. Yeah. You know, I mean, 
it was just like, and then we went to Iraq together when we were married too. So that we didn't get to sleep together out there either. You know, we got that separations pay and the combat pay still and all of the other pay separately. So we, we didn't care. Uh, yeah. You know, it was just whatever with it. Yeah. That's interesting though. I mean, so what, what was his rank at the time? We were both, we were corporals. Oh, both corporals. Okay. Yeah. In the same unit, in the same platoon. So it was pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah. no kidding. Oh, shit. Did, it, yeah. did everybody knew? I mean, do you guys have the same name, name tape and all that? We did, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, whenever they'd be like, well, go ask Corporal Moore. And they would be like, well, which one? And they would have to say either male or female. You know, um, that's, yeah, that was the only happened, thing. Same thing happened in uh, Supply. Uh, there was... Uh, several married couples and they were walking around with the, the same name tapes and stuff. It was crazy. See them going to the chow hall together. You know, it was yeah. Just like, yeah. We did that out in Iraq. I mean, you know, we were together a lot out there. Um, you, you know, they wouldn't, they put us on the same convoys, but normally they didn't like to, you know, and that's, that's for, you know, if obviously if the right. husband gets blown up or the wife gets blown up, you know, that, they don't want the other one to freak out. So they tried to not put us on the same convoys. We did one convoy where we actually got to ride together in the same truck. And actually that convoy was the very first time that we got to drive an armadillo, which is when they very first came out. So it was brand new to our unit and we happened to get to drive it and we had no gunner. And we had no comm because our comm went down and we were escorting prisoners. So it was a crazy experience that convoy was. And it was, you know. Something that uh, we, we keep not uh, forgetting to talk about is the, the red. Oh, patcher. yeah. It was a red she, patcher. She, yeah, she was a red patcher. And some of you may not understand what that is, but she literally had, you know. It's like a red patch everywhere she went. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, they called them red patchers. But, yeah, you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Uh, so we we had to keep them on when we were out in Iraq. And the red patches go on your forehead and they go on the back. And then there's one on each knee. And back in the day, it just it distinguished, you know, who was a grunt and who was not a grunt, who was going to stay on the ships, who wasn't going to stay on the ships. Uh, and then – once TSB changed over to CLR, it took the red patches away and only LS kept the red patches. So we got to take our red patches off finally. However, I do have covers and I still have camis with my red patches on them. So I, I you know, I still do have red patch uniforms. But when we were in Iraq, yeah, we had them on our foreheads and on the back of our head and then on our knees. We, we didn't take them off out there. Um, yeah, and it was kind was of crazy. like, you know, obviously bright. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah. Were like always rolling in convoys and stuff like that. I mean, yeah. Oh gosh. That's all we did. Rolling target. Yeah. We, yeah. um, I mean, go ahead. Oh, no, no, go ahead and talk about going on the convoys. I mean, I you kind of experienced a lot of the same here. I was in supply, and uh, a lot of my experience when I deployed was a lot of convoys in and out of Kuwait into Iraq. And so we were, I was, uh, you know, in support of um, the frontline Marines. We ended up getting it. I ended up getting attached to a grunt unit my second uh, go around when I got, uh, you know, moved over. I was in supply battalion. And it was a non non deployed unit, which I guess they ended up getting activated uh, later on. But I had switched over and got into a grunt unit. But my experience was pretty much similar to yours. It was just a lot of uh, convoys and getting a little bit small fires here and there, and calling in uh, air fire and having to load up, you know unload the fifty cals on a couple of locations. But uh, let's talk about your experience over there. Yeah, um, I mean, we did a lot of a lot of convoys. We did them, like I said, mainly at night. And we ran with our cat lights on. I don't want to get like I guess too specific with it because I don't. Right. Yeah. You know, Give up. No, man. but um, 
tactical. So like, yeah, you know, so I mean, we, we did a lot, we did them at night and then, um, you know, we would work during the nighttime when we got back by either unloading the trucks and breaking down tires and then rebuilding tires. I mean, I, I, we can break down some tires and rebuild some tires. Let me tell you what, that's pretty much all we did was convoys and break down and build tires out there, you know, and there was a lot of, a lot of, um, IEDs and a lot of rockets and orders and, you know, incoming fire and outgoing fire. And, um, you know, I, I've, I've seen my fair share, you know, uh, I was out there during OIF three and, uh, like I said, you know, we're the ones that took the cans all over the place. So we went to Baghdad and picked them all up and then dispersed them. We got to live in them for about three weeks. And then the new people came in and they kicked us out. So I was actually the first person to ever get to live in the can, which I guess is kind of cool to say. But, um, you know, it short lived. It was short lived. Yes. But we had air conditioning and. um you know, it, it was really nice versus living in the tent. You know, one thing about living in the tent, there was a guy, um, a national that had came in while we were sleeping in the middle of the night and he was rummaging through the girls, the girl who I'm going to retirement. He was rummaging through her sea bag and I happened to wake up and saw it. Well, I grabbed, I don't know why I grabbed her rifle. I grabbed her M16 and I loaded hers and, you know, I chased him out of the tent. Well, I kind of thought I was dreaming about it. And then the other girls came forward and they're like, nope, nope. We saw him too. Like we saw what you did and we saw everything. So, you know, from that time on, we had Firewatch. So I'm sorry, everybody. That was my fault. Um, but they made us do Firewatch from that time on. And, you know, it was pretty crazy. There, there was some pretty crazy stuff. Um that we saw. Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm sure. Um, now how, let's talk a little bit about being a female on a male dominated thing and how did you, were you treated in any differently? Uh, where, you know, did the guys treat you the same? I mean, did you feel that you had to uh, prove yourself to everybody? I mean, what, how, what, what was your experience as being a, you know, female in the Marine Corps? I mean, yeah, definitely. You, as a female in the Marine Corps, you definitely feel like you have to prove yourself because men are obviously stronger than females, um, you know, emotionally and physically. And so it, it was kind of hard to keep up with your, your male counterparts because, you know, especially with like PT, they you guys can obviously run faster than us, you know. Um, so that was always a struggle. But my my guys were amazing. I, I never had any issues. I never had any problems. Like I said, to this day, if I had any anything, if I needed anything, I could call any of them and, you know, ask them for something. Right. But, you know, it was just amazing. Um, You know, I've gotten so close with them. And, my, you know, my husband's a Marine, too. So he, he understands. I, I have guys or not just guys, but you know, some of the females that I've served with too, I've served with obviously more guys than women. So a lot of the people that call me a majority, you know, maybe 85% are men, you know, that call me and need to talk about stuff or, you know, um, need help with resources because I help veterans with resources. Um, so, you know, he understands because my husband is a, was a Marine too. So it makes it easier when, especially when you're a dual couple like that, right. I think, but you know, I've been trying to help veterans with getting resources and, you know, veteran chats. I, I've started the vet chats. Uh, I do it once a month. So this month I'm doing it. I think it's May 27th, which is a Saturday at 20 on, uh, Facebook. TikTok? We do it on, on Facebook. Facebook. Okay. Yes. Eventually I'll probably start doing them on TikTok. I I'm trying to get more people to follow, you know, more veterans and stuff like that or more, more, I mean, maybe I could start it now, but, um, I, I just think that Facebook right now is a better place because I, I have more people that I'm, you know, closer with on there. So maybe eventually I'll start it on TikTok. 
Yep. Um, and then I'll do lives eventually. And, you know, so that people can come live and talk. Now I'm not, I'm not a therapist and this is just a vet chat that we do. And it's for any veteran, you know, I don't care how old you are, how long you served for, you know, if you have PTSD or depression or bipolar, any type of anything, or you just want to talk, you feel lonely, you know, that's what it's for. Um, if you need help with resources, you know, I do a lot of PTSD retreats. So, I, I get a lot of resources along the way, and then I pass them out to other veterans that may need help. You know, um, and I, I feel that this chat is going to help people, hopefully, you know, that way, if they have any problems or, you know, they don't have anybody that they feel they can talk to now, now they do, you know, once a month, they can get on here and talk to people that are like-minded and, you know, talk to people that have experienced the same thing that they've experienced. Whereas, you know, versus you go to therapy and you talk to a therapist, but sometimes the therapists haven't been there. Sometimes the therapists don't know exactly what to say, or sometimes they may not do or say the, the right thing, you know, and it, it can trigger you versus help you, you know, more. So I, I just feel that this maybe is going to be an outlet, hopefully, for some people and for other people, you know, maybe it will be their saving, you know, their saving grace. Who knows? But hope, I'm hoping to eventually start a PTSD retreat. That's my ultimate goal. Uh, I want to do equine therapy. So that's why I got my horses. I feel like a lot of people, um, you know, are more comfortable or more likely to open up to people that are like-minded or have the same experience or, um, you know, cause a lot of times, sometimes, especially when it comes to being a combat veteran and talking to people about your experiences in combat, sometimes when you're talking to people, you feel like they're not understanding or they're kind of giving you that deer in the mm -hmm. headlight look, you know what I mean? And it's just like a conversation that's hard to have with a lot of people. But when you get around veterans or other Marines or, you know, people that are like-minded, it just makes things so much easier. So that's great that that's another outlet for people. Um, because, you know, I think there's a, a big need for it. You know, there were, uh, there's a lot of us that have experienced combat. And so, you know, there's something that we've always kind of failed to, to realize is there's a mental, uh, aspect that comes from it. A lot of us may look okay, from the outside, but the inside could be a whole different ball game. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and these resources that I, I provide, it's not just like for therapy and stuff like that. These resources are for, you know, tickets for vacations or to do, you know, fun activities with your family. It's financial hardship resources, service dog resources, you know, lawyers, if you need a lawyer, it's a lawyer resource. Um, you know, it's other PTSD resources that gives you lists of PTSD, you know, retreats. And, you know, if you've not been on a PTSD retreat, I highly recommend that you attend at least one. Most of them are free. You know, most of them are completely paid for. They'll pay for your plane ticket, your hotel, your wow. food. I mean, everything. Wow. And, you know, you do five days. And the equine ones are my favorite. Um, there's one here in Florida that I attend frequently, Quantum Leap Farms. It's in Odessa, Florida, and it's just amazing. So, I mean, that's if you awesome. can get to them, I I highly recommend it. Wow, that sounds amazing. Yeah, I mean, see, here's the thing. You never know that these things are out there. But, mm -hmm. you know, after talking to several people, you start learning and getting the word out there. That's great. I mean, I'm glad you're coming on and sharing this with all of us. Now, talking about PTSD. How does Chelsea deal with PTSD? Because I know, you know, every every one of us, especially being in the combat zone, came home with some PTSD and other ailments. So how do you deal with it? Yeah. Um, you know, at first when I, I started getting the symptoms and, you know, having issues, I thought maybe I was going crazy. I actually had to reach out to other Marines and ask if they were experiencing the same things that I was because I didn't know what I was experiencing when it first started happening, you know, and I eventually started seeking therapy for it and trying to get help. And then it just wasn't working. So then they, the VA decides to load you down with prescription medication. I, I'm just not, 
I'm not a prescription medication type of person. You know, um, it doesn't work while, well with my body. Well, they had me maxed out on Klonopin and Ambien and Zoloft. And I felt like a walking zombie. I was completely dead to the world. You know, I couldn't function. I wanted to sleep all the time. You know, nothing was getting done because I was just so tired. And one day somebody was like, hey, you need to try some RSO. And I'm like, what is RSO? And he's like, Rick Simpson oil. And I'm like, what in the hell is that? And he's like, marijuana. And I'm like, no. I'm like, nope. I'm like, I'm not doing your devil's lettuce. I'm not doing that shit. Like, it's not going to happen. <laughs> no. And he's like, come on, it'll help your PTSD. I promise. He's like, you'll, you'll feel a hundred times better. Like it'll help you. Um, you'll feel like a different person. You'll feel more alive. You'll feel like yourself again. That line right there is what got me. So I'm like, okay, I'm like, let's try it. So he goes, you only need a little rice sized grain piece because it's very strong. And um, he's like, you don't want to overdo it. So I'm like, okay, you know, never, never done it before in my life. And I tried it and it was like an instant, um, you know, like this, this worked, this, this is working, you know, this is, did make me feel better. I feel great, you know? So eventually he told me, you know, there's different strains too, right? And then it started to spark my interest more because I started to research different strains and research indica and sativa and hybrid and research the different terpenes and different, you know, things that it does to the body and that it can do to the body. And so then I, I stopped doing the Ambien, the Zoloft and the Klonopin and started just doing medical marijuana. I am from Michigan originally, so we were allowed to grow. I started, <clears throat> I started to grow and then we moved on to Florida and we don't have recreational down here, so I can only go to the dispensary. But I mean, it still works, you know, seven years later, um, at least I'm not a walking zombie anymore. And, you know, it takes my pain away. I can definitely tell if it's not in my system. I can definitely tell that my pain has been amplified. Uh, you know, once I get it back into my system, the, the pain goes away. You know, I had back surgery. I had a total disc replacement done. And so, you know, they, they cut my stomach open and took all my organs out, took my bad disc out, put a whole new disc in my back, and then, you know, put my organs back in and sewed me up. So I have a lot of pain. I have fibromyalgia and rheumatoid arthritis and osteoarthritis and you know, it definitely helps. So my mom hates it. She hates the fact that I do it, but it helps me. And she understands that, which, which is great. You know, she does understand that. So she's not like horrible about it, but it does help me. I do feel a difference. I do feel a difference if it's not in my system. Um, I don't, you know, get like sloshly, disgusting, you know, to the point to where you can't function. I, you know, do it how normal people do it, I guess. But I mean, you, you smoke too. So, I mean, you, you probably oh, yeah. know what I'm talking about, right? Absolutely. Every, I mean, that's what I'm saying. I think uh, for me, I, you know, I'm trying to get the veterans and the people that are actually doing it and educated on it and be advocates for this to be an alternative method of a way of medicating us versus throwing. I mean, if this could eliminate five to 10 pills or something like that, I mean, I I've talked to a guy on here as an army veteran, he was up to 16 different pills. I mean, that's one yeah, fucking hell of a, yeah. I mean, that's one hell of a, a mix. I mean, and, and what that's doing to his organs, his, you know, his psych, everything else. I mean, that can't be good, you know, for extensive amounts of time. And then, you know, some of these things that they're uh, trying to give, it's getting these guys hooked on it and they're getting hooked. And then, then, then they're taking them off like cold turkey because they're like, you're hooked. Yep. Well, fucking then now, now these guys are on the streets going and trying to buy shit off the streets. So it's just, it starts this whole thing. And I mean, I don't know why we can't get to that. I mean, I think we're getting closer to the, like removing the taboo. 
and, and people getting mm-hmm. educated. Because even like my wife, when I first met her, she wasn't really keen on it. But I had to get to the level of being honest with people because this is what I need to help me. You know what I mean? And trust me, you fucking want me to smoke this than not. I'm already a spunky dude. <laughs> you know what I mean? So give me some indica so I can calm myself down and chill. And, you know, yeah. and also I could tell the same thing. Like I could tell when I do it, when I don't do it. I, I can't sleep very good at nights and things of that nature. And I'm just definitely a lot more on my alert mode when I don't have it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so I, because I don't like to smoke a whole lot, it doesn't last in my system for very long. So I've started making my own capsules too, and I'll use MCT oil. And, you know, the higher the fatty content, the the better it's going to be because, you know, obviously THC binds to fat content. So that's why I use the MCT oil because it has the fattest high, like our highest fat content. Um, and then I usually will get like between four to six grams of distillate or RSO and I put them into the, the MCT oil and I mix it up and I combine it. And then I'll buy empty capsules off from like Amazon or, you know, the whole food store. And then you just put it in the capsule and you just, you know, pop a capsule and you're good all, all day, like literally all day. Um, and it puts me to sleep. Great. And it just, it's been working amazing from you. I think I'm going to have to get, yeah, this for you. sure. I mean, it works great. <laughs> no, it sounds, it sounds great. Yeah. I mean, um, I mean that's the thing you know, I, I and, do smoke a lot, so it's probably not doing me any justice for the esophagus, the lungs. Yeah. That nature. Yeah. And especially, you know, you can adjust the, the level of it too. So if, if your tolerance gets up higher, you know, you can always add more RSO or more distillate to the oil. You know, I usually do a cup of oil and like, like I said, four to six grams of distillate and then I'll mix it up and I'll keep it in a jar, you know, up to where it's locked away. And, and then when I want the capsule, I just take it out and put it in a little capsule and off I go for the day. Nice. Now, are you more of a sativa or an indica or hybrid? Um, it, I, I don't know. I kind of just smoke it all. It doesn't, it, I don't have, I don't get paranoid from sativa. I, I don't, yeah. it doesn't, it doesn't affect me. So I think nowadays it's harder to find those pure strains and those pure strands. I don't think you ever really smoke a hundred percent of indica or even the sativa. It's really hard to find that. I think that because of so many different generations of mixing, you know, and all the, the seeds that they've, I mean, oh my gosh, the science that people have done with this stuff Mm -hmm. and, and you, I mean, mutated it and, you know, made all these different genetics and stuff like that. I think it's hard to find pure strains anymore. And a lot of times you're finding stuff that's kind of, you know, maybe it's 90% indica, 10% sativa, but I mean, I think that you find it a lot of mix now. Yeah. And you know what, you know what else is good though, too, is with these capsules, you can buy the terpenes, you can buy that on Amazon. So if, if you do need, you know, more help with your PTSD or you need more terpene for your PTSD, you can just buy it on Amazon and add the terpenes to the, the oil mix as well. I, yeah. I do that too. And that really helps. Wow. Good old Amazon yeah. nowadays. You could just about get it. Yeah. It's good for everything. Right. you can too i'm just waiting before you get your package in the mail some you know like what do you uh, let's see uh bubba oj or something like <laughs> yep every day my husband's like what did you order now it's just like an amazon you know i i hate going out in public uh i have a service dog but i'm getting ready to retire him so you know i i i'm avoiding public lately and uh i just order everything off amazon now it just it works better i don't have to leave the house yeah i've seen your service dog let's talk more about the service dog how long have you had your service dog yeah oh i've had him for seven years um he was actually trained out of michigan yeah out of claire michigan through a company called helping paws and the lady's um name is Lori shaw and she's absolutely amazing and she does this for free for veterans so you can either be connected with a dog and she'll train you and the dog together. So what she did is 
once a week we would go and we would train and she would show us what to do with the dog. And then during that week, we would go home and work with the, the animal. And then the following week, we would go back and test out. And if we didn't pass the test, we had to do it again for another week and keep doing it until the dog caught on to the, the task that you were trying to train them you know, to do. So in the, in the process of training our dog, she taught us how to do it as well. And you can either buy your own dog or you could be connected with an, a dog that she had. We, we found these people that had a, a black lab puppy that they were originally selling for 800, but when they found out that we were using it to be my service dog, they sold them to us for a lot cheaper. So we bought him and she, it took us 12 months to train, which is about the normal time that it takes for her to train dogs. Um, we never, we never failed a task or anything like that. He's, my dog is super smart. And so, you know, you take the CGC test and you have to test out and then, you know, she just, she does it for free um, for veterans. I mean, so if you're in Michigan and, you know, you need, you're a veteran and you need a service dog, Lori Shaw, for sure. You know, helping paws out of Claire, Michigan. She's great. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Bless and her, there's, man. yeah, there's a lot of organizations out there though, too, you know, that, and a lot of, this is what a lot of veterans don't know. There's, there's a lot of organizations out there to where you can get a free service dog to where, you know, it's already going to be trained, but you have to go and, you know, connect with it and train maybe for three weeks, you know, versus a year. Um, but there are companies that will help that get service dogs. That's outstanding. And they're great. Yeah. yeah, I think that's the one thing that, uh, you know, a lot of there, there's a lot of great services out there. It's just that we don't have to know about them, you know, or mm -hmm. we really got to dig deep to go find these things or you get put in that that number ring where they're like someone gives you a number to a number to a number. So, I mean, mm -hmm. it'd be nice to eventually have this uh, like one stop shop somewhere where, you know, veterans can go look up you know, resources and find like, Hey, I need this or I need that. Cause there's so much like here in California, there's, you know, they'll take care of if you, you went, you know, homeless or something like that. They have a, a, a HUD Vash where uh, they pay a, a percentage of your rent. And then they, there's also um, another place that provides furniture for a lifetime for free. Um, oh. There's, places out there that will fix your vehicles if you break mm -hmm. down and and you're having a lot of problems with your engines i mean you just got to go out there and look at some of these uh va resources and just see what is out there the thing is is you just got to go out there and call and i mean i i'm one to speak because i'm not good at doing that shit if i didn't have a wife that was <laughs> you know persistent yeah. and okay with being put on hold me as soon as someone puts me on hold i'm like mm, <laughs> son of a bitch you know like I don't got that patience like her, but, uh, I mean, there's some great things out there and I mean, I'm glad that you're also, that's the, the great part about veterans nowadays is, is everybody's out there trying to do something one way or another and help their brothers and sisters out. So, I mean, it's great. I, that's one thing that's been kind of awesome about getting on TikTok is, is looking at the community and seeing how mm -hmm. many people are out there are actually trying to do stuff. There's tackle 22 fishing out there i'm not sure if you've heard of those guys yes um but mm -hmm. they take people out fishing hunting i mean uh you know all kinds of stuff with you know uh, dealing with ptsd um there's you know like you said there's people out there with wolves um there's dogs there's all kinds of great things it's just you got to go out there and look for them and i mean unfortunately not all the states have some of these great resources some of them have what some of them don't have but it would be nice mm -hmm. once everybody can kind of have the same opportunity yeah i agree and you know maybe actually now that we're talking about it maybe i'll post the resources that i do have maybe i'll do a TikTok with them and i'll post it on TikTok, and then you know hopefully it can get shared enough to where you know if people do need it then they can save it even on their it, TikTok. Or maybe there's even a way that even we put our states and uh, put the things that we know of, and then it's just a list that eventually accumulates and it goes by the different states or something. That would be cool too. Some way yeah. have some uh, a connection where it's like a one-stop shop and people like, hey, you're having engine problems or something. There's these guys. And because a lot of these uh, 
uh, programs, they have, they're funded, mm-hmm. but if the money's not being spent or they don't have enough people to spend it, the fundings go away. So, yeah. you know, and, and a lot of people, like I said, they don't know about it. So a lot of these things end up losing their funding. Yeah, I agree. Um, like the quantum leap farm that I go to the PTSD retreat, that one is awesome. You know, you do five days of therapy and you have group therapy sessions and then you have private therapy sessions. And, you know, sometimes they'll do sacral cranial massages, uh, which are amazing. Or, you know, they'll they'll do acupuncture. um, You do yoga. They feed you. I mean, it's just, it's amazing. You know, I've met so many great people through these retreats. There's, there's one person that I met through the retreats. It's, the first one that I ever went on back in, well, I think it was my second retreat, to be honest, maybe in 2016. And, you know, his name is Eric and we became best friends, like literally best friends. You know, we got matching tattoos and we have matching piercings. We went and got our dates pierced, you know, to help our migraines. And, you know, it's just, we've, we've been super close you know, and so these retreats also, they don't just help you, but they bring you closer to other people that are, that are like you, you know, it, it makes you feel like you have that camaraderie again, like you did in the military, because you are around these other veterans and you are in your zone, like you're in your comfort zone, you know, like you, you feel safe and comfortable there because you know that they went through the same thing that you possibly did. And, you know, the first day, you know, the first day is always iffy because you're you're meeting each other and, you, you know, you got to size each other out. up. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so the first days are always iffy. And then after that, like, it gets so much better and you really do form a connection. And, you know, I want to say by, like, the third day, you're all inseparable and you really notice that bond that's being created between, you know, the group of you. And, you know, I've experienced, I went on other retreats too, Warriors Ascent. Um, that one is in, gosh, I think it was in Missouri. You know, that one actually broke me. That one made me cry. I've never cried at any of these retreats and I bawled like a baby at this retreat, you know. Um, they That one really, really was amazing. And they make you jump off this tower and it was like, I can't even remember 90 feet, a hundred feet, somewhere around there. And you climb up to the top. It's a pole. The, it's, I can't remember what they called it. The leap of faith is what it's called. The right. leap of yeah, faith. Yeah, yeah. And you're tethered, you know, to a tether and you have to climb up the pole and then you have to try and stand on the top of the pole and jump off. I'm deathly afraid of heights, De- <laughs> deathly afraid of heights. Right. So they managed to get me up this pole and I was scared because remember I had back surgery. So I didn't know if when I jumped off the pole, if the tether was going to pull my back or, you know, jar my disc out of place, you know, anything like that, you know, it's, it's already moved a little bit and I have to have it fused now. So um, it's kind of like a touch and go situation with what I do. So they managed to get me up and I was so scared. I couldn't get down. I didn't want to jump. And I managed, I finally jumped, but I did exactly what the guy told me not to do. You know, he's like, don't grab the, <laughs> the thing, you know, the rope when you jump, he's like, just leave it. And what did I do? It was my first like thought process. I grabbed it, but I mean, I was scared. So, you know, I mean, but they're worth it. They're definitely worth it. And that one was free. You know, I didn't pay for the, the, we stayed in a cabin. So you stay in a cabin in the woods with the Warriors Ascent Retreat. And then there's also another retreat called the Lone Survivors Foundation, but they changed the name of it recently. I don't remember what they changed the name to, but you you can go to Texas and I think North Carolina and I think Iowa was another one, another state that you could go to. And that one was, you know, free too. But I, I highly encourage veterans to look into them. Yeah, they sound absolutely great. I mean, it's, like you said, it's a great way to build up that camaraderie again that a lot of, I think a lot of veterans start to miss. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Um, I know for me, once I got out, I definitely cut ties with a lot of friends that I grew up with, family members. I mean, just, you know, I, I got myself way more distant and stuff like that. And I found myself 
really gravitating towards my buddies and, and stuff that I was in the Marine Corps and all the people that I've kind of, you know, lived life with, you know, and went through some crazy situations. But, uh, you know, that's great that there's there's these things out there. And like, I mean, like I said, people uh, that don't know about it, you know, we got to somehow start to try to get that out there. And that's one reason why I've kind of started doing this podcasting too, is to try to bring awareness, bring on veterans to tell their stories, to raise, and also, you know, that's a way, another way of, of raising awareness and how are you guys dealing with stuff? And it just makes it, you know, when we start seeing other people talking about it, it starts to make it way more comfortable. We're normalizing, you know, being able to talk about situations that, you know, we may not feel so comfortable talking about, but exactly, you know, being around like-minded people, it definitely helps. And people that have been through the same thing, you definitely feel like you're being less judged and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. And I think that's something that we always, you know, especially as veterans, I think we always are, you know, worried about being judged or something to that degree from our peers or whoever. Oh, no, I agree. Yeah. And, you know, and it's really hard, too, because <clears throat> as a female, you know, gunner, like you have men sometimes that'll be like, no, you are not a female. You are not a gunner. Like, you know, females are not allowed to do that. Like, I don't believe you. And I'm just like, OK, well, don't believe me. I know what I did. I was there. I was behind that weapon. I was in the gun turret. You know, like I, I you know, it was so cold when we first got there. And I absolutely hate the cold and I'm small enough that I can fit inside my sleeping bag. So I would stand inside my sleeping bag in the gun turret, you know, and it has that, you know how it has that like hood thing that you can put on. So I would put the little hood thing on and I would have my goggles on and my beanie and I would sit there just like this inside my sleeping bag while the truck was going down the, on the convoy, you know, because it was so cold. And then it got to the point to where it was so hot. Yeah. And, and there's know, two different extremes. There. It gets hot as fuck and it's cold as fuck. There. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, you know, and then it, it rained really bad when we were there. And it was to the point where you could pretty much swim through it. It was deep. It came up to like our knees. And it, it was just so much great experiences. You know, there was camel spiders and then the scorpions and you know the the snakes, the sand viper snakes that we saw. Um, it yeah, was see, I don't a think a lot of uh, the old timers understand that uh, females do go to the combat zone. They do deploy. They are put in every situation like we are. I mean, uh, every convoy I was on, there was a f- several females on there with us, and they were taking contact, having to put down fire uh you know rounds down range and stuff just like everybody else so yeah uh people gotta stop with that bullshit yeah yeah you know and during security halts like you would have to we, when we were escorting civilians or whatever you know we had to run back and forth between our our vehicle and their vehicle to check on them and sometimes it, they would be two vehicles back and you know we would be getting shot at by you know not just by you know, guns or whatever, but rockets and mortars. And, you know, we we're on a security halt because why? Because we got hit by an IED or, you know, we're taking incoming fire. So, you know, you're, you're getting shot at and you're running back and forth and people just don't understand that that's, you know. And I don't think, uh, uh, another thing that people understand is how much of a target convoys are. I mean, (laughs) they are a constant target. Uh, That's why they have uh, people that clear pass before the convoys go down them. Um, I mean, because it's a critical thing. A lot of times they're carrying some very critical things to the mission. So uh, convoys are big time, yeah, big time uh, targets. But, uh, Mm -hmm. I mean, definitely, you know, everybody on there knows how to handle it, the situation typically, so. I mean, we wouldn't have all these successful convoys if it wasn't for a whole bunch of badasses. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't say that. It was more scary. Like, I was scared to go on convoys at first. I'm not going to lie. You know, so no, I opted I to you. do, like, I opted to do, like, a, a working party for a while. And then eventually they were like, no, nope, you're done with the working party. Like, you're you're going to start doing what go. you came here to do. And then my very first convoy 
we have to have fire extinguishers in our vehicles, right? So our very first convoy, I stepped on a fire extinguisher and it went off in the whole inside of the truck went, was white with the <laughs> fire extinguisher stuff. And we had to get out of the truck because we couldn't breathe and it stunk so bad. And then I had to like clean everything off because it was just like all over. It was horrible. I was so embarrassed. Like, I was like, this is not a good start to my very first convoy. Like, this is awful. Um, you know, and it just, it, we had fun out there. We made it fun, I think. That's one hell of an icebreaker, though. Shit. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there she goes. Fucking shit up already. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I ran into the back of an LVS one time. I wasn't paying attention. Um, to be fair, my ex-husband was ground guiding me and I was staring at his ass. This is why married couples should not be together <laughs> out there. Okay. This, <laughs> this right here is why. Oh my gosh. Dude. So I was staring at his oh. ass because he was ground guiding me and I wasn't paying attention and I ran into the back of an L other LVS. Well, I got in trouble and my staff sergeant was a former DI. Oh. And I felt like I was a recruit and she made me clean all of the windows on the trucks with water and toilet paper or water and paper towel. No, nap newspaper. I'm sorry. Whatever it was, newspaper, some kind of paper, nap magazine paper, something. I was water and some kind of magazine paper. And um there was a lot of trucks and there was a lot of windows. I was out there for a while. It broke the headlight. We had to change the headlight out. It it was so crazy. It was so bad. Um, you oh, know, that's a good one. that is a good one. Checking out the yeah. husband's ass. <laughs> yeah. So oh, definitely you, don't, you don't go out there that too often. Right. Yeah. Oh gosh. It was crazy. Uh, you know? Um, and you know, our flight out there. So like our flight out there, um, got our, our, it got suspended because something was wrong with the plane. So we ended up having to stay the night in the hangar that night on our way to iraq so that made it scary enough yes. and then you get to iraq and you you know get on the bus to head from kuwait to where you're going and you know they give you ammo you get 500 you know rounds of ammo and you have to you know load up a magazine and get on the bus then you have guardian angels and you know it's, it's just a scary thing at 19 you know, in being a female, like females are not supposed to see the shit that I saw. They're not supposed to do the shit that I did. And we did. You now know, you, you ended up joining in 2004. So you already, I mean, you joined after all the stuff had happened, 9-11. I mean, we already had gone to war. So you... You did have somewhat of an inclination you could possibly deploy, or did you not think that you would? Well, no, I knew. Um, I, knew. I volunteered to go. So when the girl that I'm going to see that's retiring and I got to Japan, they they asked people if we wanted to go. They didn't make us go. Um, and her and I, like I said, we were joined at the hip, and we were like, let's do it. Let's go. So then, you know, we, we left for Mount Fuji and we took an HSV. That was a whole different, we took an HSV from Okinawa to mainland Japan and it took us like two days and I had to back an LVS up onto the HSV. I was scared in the, I had Marines that were recording it and I just saw the recording of it like maybe a couple of months ago and it was hilarious. I didn't even know that this recording existed until a few months ago. So, oh, I mean, that definitely brought back good memories. And then, you know, we took this HSV for like two days to mainland and I did some training in Tokyo for, I don't know, I think we were there for 30 or 45 days. We did um, Mount Fuji for Iraq. Don't ask me why, but we did. And I mean, that, that was a pretty cool experience. I got really super seasick. They had to knock me out mm -hmm. with Dramamine. Um, oh, yeah. They woke me up for a promotion and I threw up during the promotion. So they gave me more drama. Me, they were just like, take this. And then they told me to go out on the deck and try and get some fresh air. And I threw up all over the place and they recorded me throwing up as well. So, you know, Marines will be Marines. Um, 
I mean, you know, like I said, my time in was great. I, I had so much fun. You know, I, I really did. Um, that was definitely the best time of my life. You know, and then I turned 27 and I had my daughter and then I had my son and then I got married again. And then we have a four-year-old now. So it's been good. Nice. Well, that's good. I'm really uh, glad that you came on and shared your experience with us. And uh, I'm excited that I finally got a, a lady on here, <laughs> especially a Marine. You're the first one. So, hoorah. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, thank you so much, Chelsea, for coming on and sharing, uh, you know, sharing your story, your experiences with all of us. Um, I really appreciate it. I'm going to show uh, her TikTok. You guys can go check her out. Go at her as a friend. Go watch her videos. Help support her. She's trying to, you know, get something going for the veteran community. We, we really appreciate that. Um, if you could just stick around. If you have any last words or anything you want to say, anything before we go. Uh, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed Absolutely. it. This has been fun. So thank you. Absolutely. I appreciate you coming on. Like I said, it's amazing. So uh, I'll uh, be with you in one second. All right. All right, friends and fam, that wraps up another great interview. Chelsea had some great stories and great experiences. Like I said, that's the first lady I got on here. I'm super excited to have uh, it be a Marine as well. So thank you guys so much for once again tuning in to Every Day to Saturday with your host, me, myself, and I, Brian Roof. Urgh.